For those who are new to this particular uh, shear, which is now, we will be con- with this shear. We are concluding two years of this shear. Unbelievable. Anyway, um, our regular limit is, of course, Masil Sharim, wherein we do the best we can to move through the safer at a uh, healthy pace, and at the same time to try to pick up enough insights and application that will help us to appreciate what it is we're supposed to be doing and uh, growing in our Shlemus and our Vodas Hashem. Two years ago, when the first of the Chagim that came around during our learning cycle, which was Hanukkah, the idea was put forward to try to incorporate into the Shia ideas that will help us during the uh, Yom Tovim, during the Chagim that we live through, to try to help us get more of a focus on it. And that's basically become something of a tradition in the Shia. And uh, now that we come before the Moed of Tishabav, I say Moed because that's what it's referred to in the, uh, in the Tanakh, the Moed of Tishabav, this time, this occasion of Tishabav, to help us get something of a focus. Now last year we focused more or less on the Khurban, and more or less on the destruction of the base of Mikdash, and how to appreciate it, and what we're supposed to do as our Voda on Tishabav. And this year I want to try to focus on something a little bit more specific. And uh, I will quote a Mishnah towards the end of Maseches Tainus, which is somewhat well known. Perik Dalad Mishnah Vav, Chamisha Dvarim Eru Es Abosenu Bishivasu Betamuz, the Chamisha Betishivav. There are five things that happened on Shavas Batamuz and five things that happened on Tishabav. The Shavas Batamuz, Nishtabru Haluchais, the Luchos were smashed by Moshe Rabbeinu. Uh, you can make the calculation for yourself. Um, Bnei Yisrael came out of Mitzrayim. They traveled seven weeks through the desert till Shavuos. He went up for 40 days and 40 nights and came down on the 17th of Tammuz. And on that occasion, he broke the Luchos. Right? That's when the first set of commandments were smashed. Ubatu Atomid, the Korban Tomid, was stopped by the government. The Romans, the Havka Ha'ir, the city were the walls of the city were broken through. Uh, definitely in the time of the second base of Megdash and the first base of Megdash, there were those who say it was on the ninth of the month, those who would seem to say it was on the seventeenth as well. The source Apostomos Es HaTorah. Apostomos burnt the Torah. Now, whether it meant the Torah that was in the Kosher Kedoshim, whether it means it was a national holiday of destruction of Torahs wherever they were, they were destroyed. Behemet Selim Behechel and a idol was placed in the base of Mikdash. Those were all on the 17th. B'tishibav, on the ninth of Av, Nigzal Avosenu Shri Konsul Aretz. The Maraglim, of course, returned on the ninth of Av with the evil report. The people cried that night they were all going to die in the desert. And as such, um, it was uh, guys on them that they would wander and die in the Midbar. The of Abayas Birushonu Bashniya. First and second base was destroyed. The Nilkada Beta was destroyed. The Nerechosha Ha'ir. And the city was plowed over like a field. And the Mishnah concludes Mishnichnas of Ma'atim Basimcha. And when we enter the month of Av, we begin um, lessening the amount of Simcha that we have in our life. So that would be, as we see, the things that took place. The two Bat Mikdashas were destroyed. The Beis Amish was plowed like a field. And one thing which is obviously specified is the destruction of the city of Betar. Now the city of Betar was a very large metropolis. And it was, as is clear, totally uh, destroyed by the Romans. And the Lashon of the Rambam in Hilchus Tainus, Perikay, Halachigimel, 
Tishabav Hamish Dvar Mirubai, Nigza Yisrael Bamidba Shlo Yikonsula Aretz, Vachar of Abayas Bishano Bashnia, Vinukta Irgadola, a large city was destroyed, Ubeta Shema, its name was Beta, Vahoyaba Allah from Revavos in Yisrael, thousands and tens of thousands of Jews, Vahoyelehem Melech Godoil, and they had a, a great king. And the Chachamim and many great people thought he was the Mashiach. He fell into the hands of the Romans. They were all wiped out. It was such a great tragedy. Like the destruction of the Beis Migdash. So it wasn't just a terrible thing happened. But it was the destruction of Beitar, it tells us the Rambam, is on par with the destruction of the Beis Mikdash. The city is wiped out. Now last year, of course, we spoke about what the Beis Mikdash was, and we talked about what the Beis Mikdash brought to the world, and we talked about what our focus should be in approaching a Beis Mikdash and tissue of and what it means. We've suffered many destructions. I mean, in the past, you know, 50 years, we all know of the terrible Horbin of Europe, the Chalmenki destruction. There were so many terrible tragedies that we've gone through. And yet, the Chazal saw that the destruction of this city is on par with the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Which means, it's not just a massacre. It's not just a pogrom. It's not just a destruction. There is something about the destruction of the city of Betar which is so essential to our understanding that our focus on Tishmav has to be on the destruction of the city of Betar as much as it has to be on the destruction of the base of Mikdash. Ram tells us. So what happened? Now what happened? Before we get to what happened, there's one other point that many people probably know and is important to understand. The Gemara and Brachas, the Afmem Chasam Abeis. We bench, certainly three times on Shabbos, any of us during the week. You know, it's a, this, is, this is perhaps a little side point that I, I think really should be mentioned, you know. There's a, there's a Takanas Chacharim that was supposed to make a hundred Brachas a day. And they make a calculation how you get into the normal day a hundred brachas. And it includes a suda twice a day. And they figure in washing and benching, and that's how you're going to get in an extra ten brachas. And yet there's this concept. You always hear people, you know, they take something to eat. Are you going to wash? I don't want to wash. Why? Well, I have to bench. <laughs> I don't want to have to bench, you know. There's this idea, this fear of benching for some reason. It's almost as powerful as the fear of phobia. Phlechophobia is something that afflicts many Orthodox Jews around the world. It is the fear of becoming phlechics. Because you know that if you become phlechics, it's a six-hour commitment, you know, that I can't have a cup of coffee. If you drink it with milk, I might want to have ice cream, you know. There's this terrible fear. Benchophobia is almost as powerful. You know what I mean? We'll see a piece of bread and like mm. so there's this this drive to get you get mazonis rolls and have cake and anything not to have to bench you know what I mean there's this terrible fear so of course you just have to eat a lot more uh, you know spread out throughout the day to make up those brachas in any event so when we do bench we know already there are four brachas to benching I'm on brachas memches some days Amar of Nachman Moshe Tikli Yisrael Birchas Hazan B'Shor Shereit Lechem Mina Lechem Lechem let's try again when the mon fell, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the first bracha, Hazon HaSakol. Now, by the way, we know that the first three brachas are Midiaraisa. So how exactly this works out, whether it means that, you know, they used to bench it on their own, or different things with Masakim as they went along, I don't, I don't want to get, that's a, that's a separate share in itself. But when the mon first fell, Moshe Rabbeinu began, established the bracha, the first bracha of benching Hazon HaSakol. Yoshua tikin lahem birgas haaretz kevushenich nesul haaretz. The when they entered Israel, so the next bracha, haaretz yal mazon, was established when they um, first came into Israel. And the Yoshua, Yoshua wrote it. David Shlomo tikin bonei Yerushalayim. The Rachaim. And B'nai Yishalayim obviously was established by David and Shlomo. David Tikein HaYisrael Amchavi HaYishalayim Yircha Ushlomo Tikein HaHabayis HaGadol HaKadosh So the idea of thanking us for the city of Yishalayim and how wonderful it is Siyam, that was all that stuff that's in the Brach of Rachem 
because we would not have they would not have asked please rebuild the base of Migdash right so obviously the Girsa has been changed at some point in history so uh, uh, but the but the essential bracha and many of the aspects of it and you go through the Mepharshim which ones were left over from the original bracha I have not been able to track down an original Girsa although I see it referred to um, but uh, the original Girsa I don't know where it is but the that we have today, many of the aspects of it certainly remain from David and Shlomo, who wrote the third bracha. And finally, um, the fourth bracha, Hatov Hametiv, the Yavna Taknuva, they were masaking it in Yavna Kedeged Haruge Beitar. When uh, the fourth bracha, Hatov Hametiv, were Masakain uh, with the dead of Beitar, the Omer of Masna, also Hayom Shenisnu Haruge Beitar Lekfura, the day when the dead of Beitar were given to burial, Tignu Yavna Hatova Metiv. That's when in Yavna they established to add that fourth bracha, which according to everyone is Midrabanan, into the benching. Hatov Shlo Hasrichu, Hatov that the bodies did not rot, the Hametiv Shednisalikfura, Hametiv that they were allowed to be buried. The fall of Betar was of course a tragic event. We see from the Rambam that it's on par with the destruction of the Beis Mikdash. And yet we see that, I mean, we'll see the story in a moment, that the dead were not allowed to be buried, and when they were finally allowed to be buried, the Sanhedrin saw fit to them be masaking that every day those who do bench have to add on a fourth bracha, Hatov HaMetiv. Hatov that the bodies did not rot, and a Metiv, there was a miracle the bodies didn't rot, and a, a Metiv that they were finally allowed to be buried. This is what took place. Right? Historically, in benching, a fourth bracha is added on to commemorate this wonderful miracle. I have to tell you, of all of the miracles, and the manifold miracles, and the good that the Baruch Hu has bestowed upon us, the fact that a massacre that took place on par with the base of Migdash, the victims were allowed to be buried, seems to me a little tenuous to be able to, to, to make as the, the base of Bracha Hatov Ametiv, that every day we're supposed to bench and thank a Kurdish Baruch Hu in the midst. Thank you for giving us food. Thank you for giving us Israel. Thank you for giving us the base of Mikdash. You shall the base of Mikdash. And thank you that the slaughtered thousands and thousands of Betar were allowed to be buried. I mean, of all the ideas to be Masaki and Abracha of the text of Hatova Metiv, that seems a little unusual. So what we're going to try to do here, this evening, is to try to gain some insight into what happened at Betar, what the significance is of Betar, because whatever the significance is of Betar has got to have significance to me come this Tishabov. And as the Rambam tells us that it's just as the base of Migdash is something that has to touch my life every year, the destruction of Betar is something that I have to be able to inculcate into my life. It's not a historical occurrence. I have to tell you, when you say kinus, those who, who have an explanatory kinus, it gives you a little background to it, it'll tell you when there was this massacre, so uh, this kinus was written. There's a kinna, uh, the massacre of York. There's a kinna for the uh, destruction of the, uh, the when, the, when the, the Talmud was burnt in Paris. There's different things commemorating different historical events, and all of that fits into the general, ca- you know, uh, 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 concept of uh, of Tishabov and the concept of destruction, the concept of kinnis. According to most Gdolim, according to all Gdolim, there are different kinnis that have been written to commemorate the Shoah, the Holocaust, and, and they should be said as well. And we will understand that the Holocaust is seen in the context of Tishabov. It's something that's supposed to be incorporated in. And yet the focus of Tishabov, says the Rambam, as much as the destruction of the base of Migdash, our focus has to be on the city of Betar. So let's understand a little bit about what took place. I read you from the Gemara in Gittin. 
in the fifth parak, Daf Nun Zayin, wherein the Agadita exists that tells us what took place in the Chorban. These are the famous Gemaras of the Chorban. And the Gemara starts by telling us about three cities. Three different cities that are destroyed. Obviously Yerushalayim and Tur Malka and the city of Betar. And it gives a reason for each one. Kamsin Bar Kamsa, of course, was the source of the destruction of Yerushalayim. The story of Bar Kamsa. Because of a uh, chicken and a rooster, the city of Tur Malka was destroyed. And Ashka de Rispa, because of a uh, wagon, wagon, uh, um, uh, whatever the piece you would call that, that, uh, that drives the wheels of the wagon, that, because of that, Chor of Betar. Why is that? The Havinahigi, Kehav Misiali Yanuka, Shisali Ariza, Yanakusa, Shisili Turnisa. They had a minog that they would plant different types of trees. When a boy was born, they'd plant a cedar. When a girl was born, they'd plant a different tree. According to some, it was another form of cedar. And when the... Uh, well, and he continues, these two trees were, were there. When they would get married, they would cut them down, and from the branches... Well, I should say they cut off the branches and from them they would make a chuppah for the chas and kala. The beautiful minute, what the source of it is, we'll have to discuss. Yom Echada, Havikachalfa, Barsay de Kesar, Itvashaka de Rispak, Katsu Ariza, Vailula. So the wagon broke and they had to, they needed another one, so they cut off a branch from one of these cedar trees to be able to fix it. So they cut down the cedar tree. This enraged the population and they started a, uh, they attacked the daughter of the Caesar and they sent a message to the Caesar that the Jews are up in rebellion. This is the cause. Now we're going to hear about the Roman counterattack. But we know very well when you hear the city of Betar, those of you who have gone on any Tiulim or know anything about Jewish history, know that the city of Betar is associated, as the Rambam tells us, with a different historical individual. By the name of Bar Kochba, called by the Chazal Bar Koziva. And that totally left out of the story here. Totally left out. We'll see it in the Medrash in Eich in a moment, but he's totally left out. Taiches a Posik in Eicha, referring to the Shmonim, Shmonim or Shmonim Elef, 80 or 80,000 Karni Muhammad, Shinichnusu Lukrach Beitar, Bashar Shalach Dua. 80 or 80,000 horns, attack horns that were blown. The Harugubba Noshim Vinoshimitaf murdered men, women, and children at Shahalach Daman, their blood flowed, the Nofali Yamagadal, until it flowed into the sea. Shimatoma Kreva Hayisa, maybe you'll say it was a coastal town right near the sea. Rechaika Hayisa. Rechaika Hayisa Mill. It was a mill, according to some, four mil away. Four mil away. Tanya Rabbi Loza Hagadol Aimer Ashnei Nachalem Yesh Bebeka Yadayim. There were two rivers. Two streams that came out of the valley of the hands. Echad Moshech Eilech Echad Moshech Eilech. One went this way and one went the other way. Yeshiru Chachamim and they measured it. Shnei Chalakim Mayim Ve'echad Dam. There were 
two parts water and one part blood. A third of the stream was flowing with blood. For seven years, they were able to harvest without any fertilizer because the blood of the Jews served as fertilizer for seven years. That's one part. One other part we're told. Omar Rabbi Babachana, Omar Rabbi Yechran, Arboyim Sok, Tsusei Tfilin Nimsu, Baroshe Haruge Beitar. Forty saw, forty saw of liquid measurement of smashed tfilin were found on the heads of the victims of Beitar. Avyanib Rabbi Yishmo Aimer, Shalosh Kupos Shah Arboyim, Arboyim Sok. There were three um, containers of 40 saw. And goes on to tell us more of the devastation of Beta and many other stories within this section which are associated with Beta itself. On Rabbi Yehuda, on Meshmuel, Mishu Rabbi Meshu Rabbi Meliel, Maidachsiv, Ene Ola, Lunavshi, Mikol Benais Iri, there were 400 shuls in the city of Beitar and each one had 400 teachers and each one had 400 students doesn't take much to calculate the number there is unbelievably large it's 64 million or 640 million I want to point out one thing that you see Maral points out the common thread in the story is the number 4 now those of you who are familiar with Maharal know that there is no number that is insignificant. Right? Every number has, has a special significance. And you see that the, the story of Betar seems to focus on the number four. The blood flows for four mil. There's four hundred and four hundred and four hundred. The Medrash tells us that I, I won't go through the whole Medrash but if you're interested it's Medrash in uh, excuse me. Where it goes through the whole war. Goes through the whole war. They thought originally it was Bar Kokhba, then they changed it to Bar Kosiva. False. And he comes out and he makes himself, makes himself uh, Melech Mashiach. He fools everybody. And he made different sort of contests. He had 200,000 people in the city of Betar who had to cut off their thumb as a sign of power. And they said, how long are you going to maim the children of Israel? So he took another 200,000 and they had to uproot a tree while riding on horseback. Notice the number again, 400,000. And they were in the city of Betar. Now, the Bar Kokhba rebellion, so it would seem, which the Medrash tells us, which is centered at Betar, the Bar Kokhba rebellion, which took on the most powerful army, Rome, the world power, which was able to crush everybody. They held them at bay for years. For years. There are those who, who attribute this as, as, one of the, as one of the blows to the Roman Empire that it was difficult for them to, to, uh, to recover from. So this was such a, a powerful thing that they, that they gathered together all of their troops and what started it off? They cut off the branches of a tree. They cut off the branches of a tree. And this somehow just enraged the people and they made an uprising 
But Kokhba rises to the front of this and everybody assumes that he's the Mashiach because he's so powerful. Rebekiva, when he sees that the Romans counterattack, no matter how many victories Bar Kokhba has, he sees Rabbi Shmael, he sees another of the Chachamim that's killed, and he says, this can't be Mashiach because they would have lived to see it. Rebekiva turns his back on Bar Kokhba. He knows it couldn't be real. It couldn't be real. What, what drove these people? The number four is associated with Beitar, says the Ma'aram. But we remember at the beginning we have three cities. We have Yerushalayim, we have Torah Malka, and we have Beitar. What's three? Three always means connection. One is obvious, obviously unity alone. Two, that's relationship. Three is connection. Because the only way to get from one to three is through two. And so we're told Yerushalayim is in the middle, and Torah Malka is on one side, and Beitar is on the other. The relationship between these three, that's why there's three cities dealt with here. Each one represents different things. What's Betar? Betar is the number four. The number four means, well, you can figure it out for yourself. Four directions. Whenever you talk about place, whenever you talk about direction, you're going to talk about four. Right? Avram Avinu is told, go through Israel, Yom of Egba. Go in the four directions. In, in uh, Shlach, Rashi brings down, you know, Eretzrel was 400 parsas. They had to go in the different directions to cover it. When you talk about, when you talk about a lateral understanding, you talk about four. When you talk about a, 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 the entire world and you add in the other two directions, that's six. That's a certain totality. Four is lateral dimensions. Eretzrel, the land... And what is cedar? What is an eight eras? Everybody knows. It's a very tall, powerful, strong wood. The people in Betar were strong. They were beautiful. This point is made in a number of places. They were they were tzaddikim. That's where they found all these tefillin that they all had on their head. Buckets of of of, of tefillin on their head. Forty saw again the number four. Forty saw. Which is, you probably know the amount is a mikvah, right? Of tefillin. Tefillin which is called beauty. Pe'er. Tefillin which is also that relationship between us and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We tie it around us. And if you remember when Moshe in, 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 in Kisisa, when uh, Moshe Ben says, I want to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he says, you can't see my front, you'll see my back. What does he show him? The knot on his tefillin. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wears tefillin. Which says, there's nobody like my people Israel. And we were at Tefillin, of course, which says, That relationship between us and the Kurdish Baruch Hu, that's what Tefillin is. The people in Betar, they had that. And they felt that our powerful connection is so powerful. That's why we used to plant these two trees. Because they're strong and they're powerful. And from them we make a chuppah because when we get married... This is forever, and we're building Klai Yisrael, and we know that we are invulnerable. We know that we are eternal, and we know that we can't be harmed. Now take a look, you have a city of Betar, of such power, and such population, and it's standing 52 years after the Chorban of Yerushalayim, after the destruction of the base of Migdash. That tells us something else about these people. The Medrash tells us that this crime of Sinaschinam, this hatred that existed, didn't touch Betar. Betar was too strong. They were tzaddikim. Their relationship between the Kodesh Baruch Hu was so unbelievably powerful. You know, when you're building with that strength, you have to understand still where you're missing. And you know where they were missing? The Medrash says the question. So then why were they destroyed? They were so great. They were such sadiqim. Antishirav, they used to light candles. 
doesn't say they ate doesn't say they had a suda obviously you have to mourn but obviously they understood but they felt that there was something rotten in Yerushalayim and it goes on to tell stories about how the people of Beitor were taken advantage by disreputable Jerusalemites who would trick them and steal their property or they saw there was something really bad in Kalyusel and they felt that it had to be wiped out and they felt that we in Beitar we are immune to this and Yerushalayim got their just desserts yeah but how could you sense when you understand so powerfully our connection between us and the Kaddish Baruch Hu, as is symbolized by your tefillin how could you miss the point that Yerushalayim the city that connects us is the base of Mikdash don't you understand that everything comes from the base of Mikdash? And the brach of of Oshas, Dosen Madne Melech. Osha is so wonderful. They give they give uh, presents to the king, delights to the king. Why? The Kliok explains. Because they produce the olive oil, which was given to the base of Mikdash, and the and the base of Mikdash is the source of all bracha. That's where it all comes from. All of the shefa, everything in the world comes from the base of Mikdash. How could you focus on your connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And you look at your city and you see it's powerful and you see it's mighty and you see it's from and you see it's connected and you're with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and you have your tefillin and you have your children learning in yeshivas and you don't sense the tragedy of the loss of the base of Mikdash. You could look with a certain smugness and say, oh, you know, there were rotten people there, they got their just desserts. Well, that you can't do. Maybe, I don't see this connection made any place, but maybe that's the reason that the Bar Kokhba rebellion was able to take root in a place like Betar. Because what was Bar Kokhba? Bar Kokhba was mighty. Bar Kokhba was powerful. Bar Kokhba says, You want to join my army? Uproot a tree while riding on horseback. Let me see your strength. Let me see how strong you are. Let's go. We are a strong, powerful city. Rome is strong. We'll be stronger. You know, it's a frightening thing. Because every gullus that we go into is there to teach us a lesson. We have a problem. We have a problem. When you have a problem, you have to be inoculated against it. Right? I have to tell you, you, the cure for snake bite is a cure that's made from from snake venom. The cure for measles is to inject somebody with measles. That's the way you've got to cure somebody. When you've got a problem, then you stick somebody into a place where they're going to be exposed to it. The first place of was destroyed for three crimes. For murder, for immorality, and for Vodazara. And so we went into a 70-year gullus, a 70-year exile that spanned three different monarchies. Bavel, Madai, Paras, Umadai. Babylonia, Persia, and Media. All three of them. Why? Because each one was a specialist. One specialized in murder, one specialized in immorality, and one specialized in, uh, in idolatry. You know how long we took to be inoculated against those three things? 70 years. 70 years. That was it. There's only so much murder you can take. There's only so much immorality in a Vodazara you can handle. And after that, you didn't find that a Vodazara was like one of the big problems with the Jews. Jews aren't known to be particularly a murderous people. Right? And Jackie Mason says, you never see somebody walk through a, a Jewish neighborhood like nervous, uh-oh, we're going to get attacked. You know what I mean? An accountant's going to leap out at me. You know what I mean? You don't sense that. You don't have a fear that I'm going to get murdered by a, by a Fung Jew. Right? So consequently, when you, when you talk about uh, inoculating ourselves against those three cardinal crimes, it's pretty easy. What's Edom? What's the essence of Edom? What's the power of the descendants of Esav? Hakol kol Yaakov v'yedayim yedei Esav. 
The voice is the voice of Yaakov, but the hands are the hands of Esav. Esav is power. Power. Now everyone says the famous Bart, you know, when it, when it comes to the Avos, there was a filtering process. Avram was Chesed. The Chesed has a good manifestation and a bad manifestation. The bad manifestation is, you know, Chesed gone crazy without any controls. That was Ishmael, a wild man. Yitzchak was guru, was strength. Ezel Gibor, That's not what anybody else says. There's another manifestation of guru, another manifestation of strength. And that's power. Power. Okay, that was Esav. The sins that destroyed the second base of Migdash? Rosh Hara, Sin of Chinam. You dare do that to me? How dare you speak to me that way? Do you know who you're talking to? What nerve! That sense of self, that sense of power! Okay, let's inoculate you. Let's put you into a kingdom whose whole focus is power. Let's put you into Edom. Murder, Bodhisattva, immorality. You can get sick of it after 70 years. Power? No, you don't get sick of it too fast. Comes a city of Betar. They're all from, they're all into a connection with God. They're all into building a strong bias made out of cedar wood. Powerful. And when they're finally confronted, the reaction is power. Fight back. Now there's no question. When the time comes, Mashiach is going to fight valorously. But you know when the, you know when the conflict came finally between Bar Kokhba and Rabbi Kiva? was rather to allow the Samaritans to participate in the defense of the city. And Rabbi Kiva says, no, you don't let them participate. And then Barakba said, we need every man we can get our hands on. It's the battle of strength. If we're strong and powerful, we'll be successful. No. If a Baruch who wills it, you'll be successful. You missed the whole message. Betar represented the destruction of Malchus. We lost that kingship. He was a descendant of David Melch. From great, but unfortunately, more along the lines of what Chayyishol asked for when they looked for a shoal. Someone who's strong, someone who's powerful, someone who's who's you know, going to go out there and fight. No, that's not what a David is supposed to be. A David is the author of Tehillim. A David is somebody whose who's connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is so total that you don't only look at the power. That's not your only focus. Bar-Kokhba represented that final loss. We had a king who got sucked into Malchus Edom in the city of Betar with all of its Sidkis, with all of its connection was sucked into it too. Too much power. Too much strength. You know, if this very, very long gullus will ever come to an end, let me rephrase that. It's all too depressing. When this gullus comes to an end, it's going to be because we finally realized, as they say, as we tell our children, to be mavater. You have to be mavater. You have to give in a little bit. You have to say it's okay. You have to recognize when to step back. It can't just be me and it can't just be power. And it has to be an attitude of, you know, we've taken this as far as we can take it. There's a time to fight and there's a time to step back. There's a Yisrael and there's a Yaakov. Yisrael knows how to fight. Fight a Malach if need be. Yaakov knows how to stand back Give gifts to Esav. Stand back. When the time presents each one, there's a gullus. You have to know your power is Hakol Kol Yaakov. That's how you fight your daimi day Esav. And if you don't take that approach, you want to try to beat Esav in his own game. Never happen.
They'll always be stronger. They'll always be more powerful. Two days ago, I had an unbelievably depressing conversation. Unbelievably depressing. Not for me. For the person I had it with. <laughs> Guy comes up to me. It's a fine fellow. He was a Baal of many, many years. The fellow is a Ben Taira. He's learning in Yeshiva many, many years. And he comes over to me. From time to time he asks me questions. How do you answer someone if they say this? Well, they say that. You know, to say that. And he comes over and he starts to say, there's something wrong with the system. Now, there's always things wrong with the system. <laughs> I don't have to tell you that. But the, the feeling he had, so, so we have to change the system. I said, let me hear. Let me, what do you mean? Too many guys are hanging around in yeshiva. They're not accomplishing anything. They're not getting any sepuk. I went around and I asked guys. I said, how many people here in the yeshiva are getting sepuk? So how many people you think said that they're getting real sense of, of happiness and fulfillment? How many of them you think said they're, they're getting happiness and fulfillment? I said, tell me. He says, 20 to 30%. He says, 70 80% of them are just wasting their time. I said, wait a second. You just made a big jump. You just made a big, big jump. A big jump between saying, I'm getting a sense of fulfillment and saying, I'm wasting my time. He says, I spoke to the mashkiach, the yeshiva, and he told me, you know, there's also a sense of a chryas, a sense of responsibility, and not just I'm having fun. He says, you're asking the wrong question. He says, but I say that if a person's not feeling happy and fulfilled all the time, that he's wasting his time and he's not productive. I said, you know, you know I, I, I'm not sure I understand your question. Try to your question. And you think everybody who goes to college, goes to medical school, understand? and you ask him every time, he'll say, yeah boy, I'm tickled pink. I can't wait to take a, you know, a more you know, biology courses, you know what I mean, and some physics, and uh, you know, I don't think it depends what you're going to be in, you know what I mean, and bioengineering. <laughs> I love those courses, you know what I mean? Oh, so exciting. You think every time when they're studying for a test, it's with a smile and a sense of glee? I said, but that's okay, because... They're, so let's say, it, doing something important. <laughs> you know, they're part of the, let's hear it, real world. You know what I mean? That, that's good. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he said to me like this. He says, we should be taking people out of yeshiva and, you know, teaching them a trade and getting them, you know. So I said, that's what you think? Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, I'm trying to get the words out of him. Stop wasting your time in yeshiva and go out and get a job. You know what I mean? He's like, come on, let's say it, you know? I said, be part of the real world. Accomplish something. I said, this is, this is the feelings. These are the emotions, right? Yeah. I said, so let me ask you a question. Take a guy out of yeshiva. Say, listen, the guy's not really going to make it learning. You know, fine. And you're going to send him out and, uh, you know, get a job. Fine. Is that fine, fine. Terrific, terrific, you know? I said, that sounds good. Sounds terrific. Yeah, great. I said, and would you set him up with your daughter? I said, oh, I said, come on, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> You're going to lecture to me on the one hand about how learning is such a waste of time, you know, and a guy should go out and do it, but I don't want to marry him? I said, what are you doing? What are you saying? I said, let's work this out. Follow this through. What's bothering you? And finally it all came out. You know, I'm frustrated. I'm stuck. I remember back when I went to college. I remember that the real world. I said, my friend, this is the three weeks. What you are describing to me now is the three weeks. This is Gullus Edom. He knew I was sitting in Shiva learning. And you're convinced that it's not real. Everything you see around you, it's power, it's might, it's real. You think what in Yeshiva? You think Tyre and Mitzvah? You've bought into what everyone told you. It's a waste of time, and it's silly, and it's not real. You've got to put your blood in Jacob. Okay, Jacob, don't we really believe what we say? Don't we really think this is real? Say that, Kadal, you know what Asa did? The bias Molly Kevin. It's filled with filled with straw. You just see it cartloads and cartloads of it. You say, my gosh, look how powerful this is. 
You go over the place. Who would ever be able to, to beat it? Comes one stalk and goes to the Got real. We let ourselves get sucked into the power. We look at the power, we look at the people, we look at the governments, we look at the armies. We look at the finance, we look at everything and we say, wow, look at that power. You know, if we only had this, if we only had that. There was a fellow Tom Lehrer many years ago. He used to write these, uh, these like numerous songs. This is 1964. Give you an idea how long ago it was. So he wrote a song of nuclear proliferation. You know, first we had the bomb and that was good because we love peace and motherhood. Then Russia got the bomb and that's okay. It's the balance of power maintained that way. Who's next? You know, it goes through, you know, the bomb. And then I know there's one verse. Egypt's gonna get one too just to use on you. Know who? So Israel's getting tense. Wants one in self-defense. The Lord's our shepherd says the psalm. But just in case, we better get a bomb. Who's next? You know what I mean? And I, I just remember, you know, and everybody went crazy. The audience love that. Do you know what I mean? The Lord's our shepherd says the psalm, but just in case, we better get a bomb. Azazel, it's, it's a brilliant. It's brilliant. Hakadosh Baruch Hu is there. He watches us. He protects us. Psst, better get a bomb. Because <laughs> we know where the real power is. Come on, you know we know we're just a third-rate, you know, Middle Eastern country. America and the power in this country and that country that bomb oh come on we're nobody because we're looking at all the hay and it looks so so powerful and we just don't believe that Kol Kol Yaakov can beat Hayadaimi Dayasaf we're sure if we just strengthen we get some more hands bring the Samaritans in get a few more people on our side that the Knesset can't pay us a bill outlawing uh, uh, Christian evangelical uh, conversions. They can't stop missionaries because it's going to offend the, 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 the American uh, you know, uh, Christian community who's our friends. We need them. We need them. We can't do anything to, to offend them. We need as many hands on deck as we can to fight this battle. Who are we going to count on? God? <laughs> but just in case, we better get a bomb. You understand? We understand. Who, who are we going to depend on? That's right. Maybe that's why Beitar was destroyed. Maybe that's why Beitar was suckered into the whole Bar Kokhba rebellion more than any place else. Strength and power. And they're slaughtered. The Medrash tells us they made a wall out of the human bodies. A bizarre imagine you walk past and there, there, there are all these people the dead bodies just lying around unburied you know what that, what, what that was for the Jewish people and finally they petition and they beg and they bribe and they use all the means at their disposal and they get permission to bury the bodies and after years they go and they see that the bodies haven't rotted and they bury them Bodies haven't rotted. Nice, tremendous miracle. They bury the bodies. Why do we bury bodies? I do a course in, in the Oil Go Lab program you know, answering basic questions. You know, we came up with the question of cremation. We said, of course, we don't cremate a body. We don't cremate a body because, you know, it's a disgrace to the body. So we bury it. So a fellow asks me, a fellow asks me, so why do you bury it? You want to be nice to the body, freeze it. So, so a guy in the class says, you know, nah, it's, it's not practical, there's so many people, you know. So say this to the guy, he says, but if you could afford it, long-term freezing, cyrogenics, so freeze the guy. What a cover to the body. You know, there he is in aluminum foil. You know, we put a little date on it. Maybe a little freezer burn, but ain't no diamond. Put him in the ground, having him rot. I never really looked at it that way before. So I came home to research the topic. I asked my wife. 
And I said, uh, this is what happened in class today. Oh, what am I supposed to do? Uh, great question, you know? So she says, no. She says, if you burn it, you're doing it for your dayim. You know, you're taking the guy and destroying him. If you put him in the ground, you know tzaddikim don't rot. Tzaddikim don't rot. So if he's a tzaddik, he won't rot. If he's a rasha, it's part of his kapora. So if you burn him, it's more of a kapara, no? So that's like the guy who goes over and says, I think you need a kapara, and I punch you in the face. <laughs> I say, you have khatoyim, let me give you a kapara, pow. You don't have a right to do that. And God has enough messengers. To deny him the opportunity if his body needs to rot, that's not fair. It was a great answer. Great answer. I spoke to another friend of mine, Kabbalist by nature, by profession. And uh, there's children's parties. And uh, so he says, no, you don't understand. We're supposed to be buried in the ground. We're supposed to be buried in the ground. Melech, memis, umachaye, umatzmiach, Yeshua. Meaning the following. We live in a world that's messed up. Golis always represents the fact that the world is messed up. We have to die in order to be reborn. Because the chait of Adam Arishon, the zuma that exists, it has to be removed. That's how life comes around today. You take a seed, and you place it in the ground, and it rots. And after it's rotted away, life bursts out and fights its way through the soil. And that's how you bring life. Says Rabbi Yochanan, when the Bitchias Hamesim, we're going to come back clothed. So Tzaduki hears this, he laughs. He says, "I'll show you. Take a look at wheat. You take a seed and you throw it in the ground, and when it comes up, the wheat, the kernel, is wrapped up. You have to peel it off if you want to get to the wheat. That's how you get food. You plant and you harvest." and you remove the shell it rots in the ground and it's reborn and we cut it we remove the shell and we eat it and we say afterwards you sustain the whole world you provide food and where does the shepherd come from? comes from that shell Right? It rains in Eretzrael and through that course the rain of all the world comes. But not just Eretzrael. Where does it come from? The base of Migdash. The course of the Korbanites. And that's the end of Benching. Thank you, Akadosh Baruch Hu, who hated me, hated me, hated me. That comes later. First we say thanks for food. Thanks for Israel. Thanks for the base of Migdash. Amen. End of the story. Oh, but you did things wrong. And the base of Migdash was destroyed. And you were thrown out of Israel. And as the final blow, the city of Beitar is destroyed. And they're not even allowed to be buried. The Tzlach, which is another Behuda, its commentary in Bracha says... Why did they want to be buried? So that the body could deteriorate and the nefesh could go up to Shemayim. There was two different things. Hatov metiv. Hatov on the fact that the body got to be buried. Metiv for the nefesh to be released. To set the stage for it to be reborn. To set the stage for Tchiyas HaMesim. There had to be a process of burial to allow the opportunity for rebirth. And consequently, we look at the food we eat every day and we know, you know how that food comes? It rots in the ground and then it grows. And we understand that the people of Betar, such as Sadiqim, they made the mistake though of Golis. They made the mistake of Edom. They go into the ground in order to be able to finally have that Yeshua to finally be able to come out. 
says Rabbi Yisrael Isaac Sher there's a powerful powerful message can you imagine what happened with Beitar there's the Chorban base in Migdash and the Jews are destroyed and they're exiled and all the tragedies but there's still a Beitar and finally comes a Bar Kokhba on the scene like a star coming out of Yaakov that's where the name Bar Kokhba comes from a star shines in the sky and the people rally to him and everybody all the Gedalim all the Rabbanim all the Tanayim Rabbi Akiva himself point a finger and say this is Melech HaMashiach could you imagine what that was for Klai Yisrael could you imagine how that how that how that electrified them can you imagine the catalyst that that did to bring everyone together to hope to pray to maybe smile once again and then comes the war and not only is Beitar destroyed not only is Bar Kokhba killed but the bodies aren't even allowed to be buried the final disgrace for Klai Yisrael and finally after years they get permission to bury the bodies and they go collect the bodies and they see the bodies haven't even rotted they haven't deteriorated it's not the kind of a miracle that I would necessarily make a bracha tova metivan every day at benching but Klai Yisrael looked at this scene and they said you know what it's not the Romans they don't have any power it's smoke and illusion even when a Kodesh Baruch Hu is angry at us even when the king throws us on the other side of the door even when he chases his child out of the palace he's watching us in the worst destruction in the final blow the bodies don't deteriorate that's a message for us that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is still watching in the worst destructions he's still there You know, when you're, when you're, two books I had read last year before Tishabov. One was The Holocaust by um, an English historian, uh, I'm drawing a blank, Barton Gilbert. If you want a book that gives you the absolute horror of the Holocaust, I've never read anything like that. It just, it just gives you the information. This city wiped out. That city wiped out. This person killed. This one destroyed. All the tortures. All the horror. Read another book. Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust. If you want to see the Yad Hashem still there, if you want to see the ray of light shining through the darkness, if you want to know that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is still watching out for you, you read that book. The base of Moses is destroyed. Akakba is dead. The blood is flowing in the, it, it, like, like a river to the sea. All hope is gone. And for years they pass by the dead bodies. And when they finally get to bury them, they suddenly realize... HaKadosh Baruch Hu has never let us go no matter how bad it gets HaKadosh Baruch Hu will never turn his back on us and at that time the Chachamim turned around and were massacring the bracha to say invention to say after you've eaten and after you've drunk when you can when you can come up with a little bit of simcha in your heart say hatova metiv and know that in the long gullus that's yet to come the Chachamim saw here the extinguishing of the final spark they saw the last bit of hope seep away from the people and they were told Klai Yisrael you're going into a bitter a bitter gullus don't ever lose hope don't ever lose heart. Do you see what happened to Betar? You thought the Romans destroyed Betar? No. HaKadosh Baruch Hu destroyed Betar. 
you think that they created the Bizayan? Kudosh Baruch Hu allowed the Bizayan to take place. But not all the way. Not all the way. Hatova Metiv. They weren't allowed to rot. And they finally got Kfuris Yisrael. And you know that they're going in in order to be able to come out. Etzemach David Avdecha. The Geula is going to burst out. Like that little bit of green leaf as it finally shoots up. When you think it's rotted away. When you think it's finally gone. The destruction takes place on Tishabav. And when they're finally granted the right, it's on Tubav. Which the Mishnah tells us is one of the happiest days of the Jewish holiday. A Jewish calendar. Tubav. And it's so interesting. You always have to watch how the circle of the calendar goes. If you go to Tubav and you switch around, what do you come to? Tubishvat. What do you do on Tubishvat? You take those seeds and you plant them in the ground. And you think they're going to rot away in the dead cold earth. And you know they're going to burst into life. Tubav, when the Batanura tells us, the sap first begins to seep up back through the tree roots. You can't see it. But it's happening. You can't see the gula. You can't smell the gula. You don't know what's happening. It's in the dead cold earth that life begins to burst out. We mourn Tishabov. And every year there's a little bit more to mourn. Another tragedy. Another devastation. It's been a long, long 2,000 years and it's been longer than 2,000 years. It's been a long 3,300 years. It goes all the way back to the Miraglim. Those are the seeds. Seeds of destruction. But you know what the seeds of the Gula are? That little ray of light that they saw at Betar. The Chachamim saw this little miracle that burst out. And they said, Kodesh Baruch will never turn his back. Yeah, maybe we have to rot through this long gull. As the Kuzari says, Yudah Levi writes, 2,000 years of exile, it's because that part of us that's no good has to rot away. And life is going to burst out. One of the Rosh Hashivas and Tells gave an unbelievable marshal. So you talk about the man of Mashiach, we can't relate to it. He says, imagine if nobody had the power of sight. He just couldn't see. You know, it would be a different world. It would be a different society. There'd be different laws. Your perceptions of life would be different. Your perception of people would be different. Everything we would understand would be in a different way. And imagine one day this miracle took place and everyone opened their eyes and could see. It's not that life would continue the way it is with a little added understanding. It would be a different world. And the way we acted would be a different. And the laws we made would be different. And the relationships we'd form would be different. Everything would change. When Mashiach comes, our eyes will suddenly open. And we'll suddenly see things the way we never saw it before. Then your mouth will open with laughter. It won't happen now. Because we're blind. But when the eyes open, what was that little glimpse perhaps? That little glimpse that no matter how much things look bad and bleak and dismal, no matter how much rottenness is taking place, you have to see that little green shoot about to burst out of the ground. I don't know if you've ever planted. I had a garden when I was a kid. You know, you plant the seeds, and what do you do? Every day you go out and look. And every day you see dirt. And one day, I don't know when, there's absolutely no relationship between what they write on the side of the seeds bags, and I don't mean when germination takes place, but one day, you suddenly see the little green leaves bursting out of the ground. It's a miracle. And one day, we're going to suddenly see the gula just pop out of no place. It's a miracle. Matzmiach Yeshuos burst out. 
people of Betar had to have the opportunity to have it come to an end in order for the Yeshua to finally become a reality. We haven't reached Rosh Chodesh Av yet. Rosh Chodesh Av can be a very, very happy time. We came out of Pesach and Chodesh Aviv. What's Aviv? It's a little of... It'll be a seven-day holiday. We call it now Pesach. One day it'll start on Tisha B'Av. 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, and end on Tubav. Different holiday. Instead of Aviv, it'll be an Av. Not too late. It could be this year. And when Tisha B'Av comes, we have no choice. There's nothing to do but sit on the ground and cry. There's no tshuva, there's no change. It's, it's, the riding is taking place. But it doesn't have to happen. Not this year, not next year. When the process finishes, when we're prepared to see that there's a ray of light, when we're prepared to see that life can burst out, that's the Yeshua. That's perhaps the message of Betar. We go this Tisha above, we sit on the ground and we cry the base of Migdash. And we sit on the ground and we cry for Betar. And we understand perhaps on some level why they were destroyed. And yet we understand the message inside of Betar of how we'll be saved. And we understand that the Geula is just sitting under the ground. Adam Arishan opened his eyes. Rashi tells us. And the whole world was empty. The whole world was bleak. Because the rain hadn't fallen yet. Everything had been created and it stood just under the surface. And Adam Arishan opens his mouth and davens. And the rain falls. And suddenly the whole world bursts to life. We live in a very bleak world. We've seen a lot of destruction and a lot of sorrow. All we have to remember is Hakol Kol Yaakov Forget about the Yadayim Yedayesov. Hakol Kol Yaakov. If you look around and see the destruction, see the bleakness, and you want to see the, the, the life burst out, you have the power. It's in your hands all along. Hakol Kol Yaakov. When we pour out those tefillahs, we pour out those tefillahs and say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, like Adam Rishon, looked around and saw that the life was just under the surface. Let it burst out. The life that's under the surface. Let the Yeshua's burst out. Let, let the final Yeshua, the Malchus based David, burst out. And all of us will see in Mitzvah Hashem the final Yeshua. Should come soon.